0: What we need is more common sense.
1: More common sense. we got to use
0: plain old common
1: sense.
2: Breaking down the world's nonsense.
1: About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where is talking about common sense? This is The
2: Jimmy Barrett Show, brought to you by Viewin.com. Now,
1: here's Jimmy Barrett
2: all right the world today is making me nostalgic for the good old days whatever you want to describe the good old days as um in my case i I guess what would the good old days be for me um the 90s the 80s this even the 70s of course as a child of the 60s you know that's that's a place probably i i can go back to and, and and look back and think wow life was so much better then than it is now. The nineteen sixties were awesome. Well the reality is 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 our memory is probably not as good or doesn't match up necessarily to the way it really was. So I ran across this. And of course I have a tendency to look at its stories and, and wonder about the motivation behind them. It's in a publication called Country Living. Now I don't know if they did this story By the way, the the name of the story is It's a Miracle That Any of Us Survived Childhood in the 1960s. I don't know if they did this because they're trying to poo-poo people who think that the 60s or the 70s were the good old days compared to the life we live now or just a reality check of how life really was and how dangerous in some ways it was or the things that we did that we shouldn't have done because we didn't know any better. So, I have not previewed this. I'm going to go through some of these. And let's see if we can make a determination of the motivation behind this story. All right. Here's the first example of it's a miracle that any of us survived childhood in the 1960s. Pregnant women smoking and drinking. Mothers everywhere have been decreasing your oxygen and brewing fetal alcohol conditions while you were still in the womb. If you made it out in one piece, you probably later found yourself sitting on mom's lap or crawling around under the table while she was having an afternoon swig and a smoke with a friend while pregnant with your little brother. Well, it is true that some women smoked and few women drank. When pregnant, they rarely did it to excess, number one. And number two, I mean, nobody really knew that much about some of the dangers of doing that behavior. And yet, many people who were born... In the 1960s, we're just fine. And there were plenty of mothers, by the way, who didn't drink or smoke. My mom never drank or smoked. Next example, crummy car seats and seat belts. Yes, little kids would sit in the passenger seat without a seatbelt. The safety method was this. Mom or dad would fling an arm in front of you if they had to stop short. Yes, that's true. Infants rode sometimes in unattached baby seats. They were kept up front in the seat next to mom or on someone's lap. Bigger babies or toddlers rode in a shoddy car seat. Seat belts just went across the lap. Seriously, they just went across the lap. It's true. And cars were not nearly as safe as they are now. That, that is definitely, there's, there's no doubt. Cars and car safety has improved immensely since those times. Smoking was emulated and encouraged. Cigarettes hung from adult lips everywhere in stores, on planes, on television, at the kitchen table. Aside from being constantly exposed to secondhand smoke, it was modeled as healthy. I don't ever remember being modeled as, as healthy. I mean, the Surgeon General's warning about lung cancer came out in like 1967. So I, w- I wouldn't say that it was modeled as being healthy. I, I think there were plenty of people who smoked. I think there were plenty of people who were exposed to secondhand smoke. And I will agree that it was kind of kind of you know set up as the adult thing to do. They even sold candy cigarettes in the stores. You know, for kids. Unsafe cribs, trampolines without nets. Sounds like this woman would like to bubble wrap everybody. No child proofing. Well, no, there's no real child-proofing. Uh, walking to and from school alone? Alone? Well, I don't ever us remember us walking to school alone. I remember walking in groups of kids, and I remember walking to and from school because we had no idea there was anybody out there who meant you harm. And quite honestly, I never knew of anybody who had any harm done to them. It would be better... I think that more kids walk to school now. At least they would get some exercise that they're not otherwise getting. I mean, do we really think that there's a pervert on every other corner waiting to pick up our kids? Going to a friend's house unescorted? Oh, yes. That happened all the time. You'd have friends in the neighborhood, and you'd go down the street and see if they're home. If they're home, you'd go out and play. And you needed to be home by the time the streetlights came out. Streetlights on, you've got to be home. That was normal. Again, the world we live in now is so dangerous. At least we're, we're told to believe it's so dangerous. Do you think it's any more dangerous than it was then? I mean, from a practical standpoint, maybe, you know, maybe in certain areas that always are dangerous or always were dangerous. Yes. But most of us don't live in those places, thankfully. Chewing sugary bubble gum. Yes, we did. And we blew bubbles. And we collected baseball cards. And 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 the gum was kind of stale. And gum was something you'd stick on your desk at school. Cavities ensued? You know what else came out in the sixties though? Fluoride treatments. Yeah, we used to get cavities when we were kids. Do kids still get cavities? Pretty sure they do. Do they get sugar in other places other than gum? Pretty sure they do. Cereals with lots of sugar? Yes. That's another thing we had. We still have cereal with with lots of sugar. Not that many kids are eating cereal anymore. Good for them. What are they eating instead, though? Are they they eating a bacon, egg, and cheese McBiscuit or something? Because I got news. That's no better for you than the sugary cereal. Seriously, whoever wrote this is just trying to make it sound like the good old days were not so good. You know what? They weren't so bad. Looking back. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Baird Show here on AM 950 KPRC. bit sympathetic of the plight of president joe biden but i can appreciate the fact that when it comes to some things like energy for example he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place he's stuck between trying to keep the, prog- the super progressive ultra liberal wing of his party keep them quiet and not listen to the vast majority of americans who are upset every time they fill up the tank with gasoline and he's trying to thread the needle now, and he's not He's not going to have any luck doing it. Because the things he's doing are not going to change gas prices. It, it's not. What he's doing takes too long to get geared up. Just because you decide all of a sudden, okay, well, it's Friday. I guess maybe if I dump some news about opening up uh, oil leases on federal lands again, that, that, that maybe nobody will find out. I assure you the progressive wing of your party already knows about it, and they're pissed. And everybody else is going. What good is that going to do now? How long does it take to start up a well? Why would why would anybody in oil and gas go to the expense of starting up a new oil lease, uh, which is so much more expensive to get started now, when they don't know when you're going to pull the rug out from underneath them? Joining us to talk about it is Larry Barrons. He's communications director at Power of the Future. They are a national nonprofit organization that advocates for American energy jobs. I don't think he's fooling anybody with what he's doing, do you?
0: I, I, I don't and, and you put it exactly right. You know, it's it is he is caught in a rock and a hard place, but one of those places is the American public, you know, and our working families. It should be the easiest decision in the history of decisions to say, you know what, I'll go with working families. I'll go with the decision that helps them. But no, he has to be beholden to this, you know, extreme left fringe wing that he feels he can't, you know, lose their support, even though it is absolutely harming working families. And your point is is exactly right. And Houston knows this better than a lot of cities across the nation. It, it, even if someone believed the... Biden administration had good intentions on this announcement. It would take time and money to get that oil to the market. And let's be honest, he should have done this a year ago. He should do it a lot more. But he's also, you know, raised the price of doing business and expects it once again to not impact consumers. And so you're right. It is absolutely not going to help. He only wants to look like he's doing something. So that when people come back in election year and this party and say, well, what about gas prices? They can say, oh, well, the president's trying all these things. No, it is a total gimmick.
2: Well, I agree. It, it, and, and I think it's even more than just a gimmick. You you mentioned the middle class. You know, that's something the Democrats have purported to support in the past is standing up for the little guys, standing up for the middle class. Everything that this administration has done so far has been designed to destroy the middle class. There's no love there for the middle class at this point, do you think?
0: No, there there absolutely is not. And your, your point is well taken because, you know, as we started to point out last year, well before Putin ever set foot into Ukraine, that prices are going up. It's tough. It's really tough. And all we heard from the left was, oh, you can do it. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. And and this is the same party that told us all the time that they care about the poor, that they care about poverty, that they care about single parents. And apparently, when it comes to protecting their dear leader... They'll throw all that out the window, and this is, no, make no mistake about it, this is a tax on every working family, everyone who buys gas. And you know what, it's one of the things that's really interesting that I think has gotten lost in, in the news. It was Memorial Day last year when Jennifer Saki put out a statement saying, uh, don't worry, gas prices aren't that high in terms of real dollars, you are not paying that much, and the president is committed to not raising taxes on gas prices. Well, what has he done? He's raised royalty fees. And so that's one of those Washington two-steps, right, where they say, oh, I didn't raise taxes, but I raised fees. Nobody buys the back and forth. They are taking money from consumers.
2: Well, and there are several governors, I think they actually tried it in Maryland, and maybe Maryland was going to be the guinea pig for this, where they suspended the the, uh, state sales tax On gasoline, which brought, I think in Maryland's case, brought it down maybe 26 or 27 cents a gallon, but it was up over four dollars a gallon when it's four dollars. Let's say it's four dollars and 20 cents a gallon and you reduce it by 27 cents. That really doesn't amount to a whole heck of a lot in the minds of most consumers.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And listen, I'm a conservative, so I'm not going to turn away any tax break, and so anything that that helps families save, keep more of their own money, I'm going to be a fan of. But let's be clear about what it is. It's another gimmick. It, it, why do they think they magically are setting the date that those gas taxes get reimposed as December? They're just trying to get through November, and they, you know, it all comes from this position that the American people are stupid, that the American people won't figure it out. Joe Biden is taking these actions that are temporary, that he can reverse in a heartbeat because he wants to be able to continue to please his eco-left donors. And the American people know it. They know that it's just a gimmick that he's putting forth because he's worried about the poll numbers. He's not worried about the pain at the pump.
2: We're talking to Larry Burns. He's with Power of the Future here on AM 950 KPRC. Our attorney general here in Texas, Larry, uh, Ken Paxton, sent a letter to the president, uh, maybe just because he had nothing better to do at the moment, (laughs) no knowing that nobody nobody's going to pay any attention to it but he sent a letter to him anyway urging him to re- restart up the keystone pipeline how much would that help you know Gensaki the, the, keeps trying to say well the Keystone that wouldn't make any difference we're still getting the same oils just coming in on trucks how much of a difference would starting up keystone make
0: Oh, that's a great question, because the White House is putting so much spin on this, it's not even funny. The White House is saying, well, it was only 8% constructed. Everyone in Houston knows that construction is the last part of the project, getting the financing, getting everything together. And I would encourage, if they're really interested in beating back the leftist spin on this, read the executive order that Biden's office put out before they were trying to spin it. They said, we're sending out the Keystone Pipeline, it'll be great for American national security, and a 2015 study said blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. So that proves that they have been trying to stop this during the Obama years. They put another stop to it in the Biden years. And so and now they get to say, well, it just wouldn't be completed. If Joe Biden had left it alone, I guarantee you that pipeline would have been working way before any solar panel can power a city overnight. And they absolutely know that, but they're going to try to spin it. And to the larger point, is Joe Biden still going to get that uh, uh, fossil fuel product from Canada? the Department of Interior is looking at trucking it there. Why trucks? Well, because it's easier to stop the trucks when the political pressure is off after election season. It's not so easy to stop a pipeline, even though Joe Biden makes it look pretty easy. And so absolutely restart the Keystone pipeline. Will he do it? I don't know. But they are trying to spin really hard to say it wouldn't make a difference when every American knows that it would make a huge difference. And even if it it wouldn't be online tomorrow, you know what, I'm going to need to buy gas in a year. buy gas in two years and so no matter what they think that we're all going to be able to shell out 60k for a new electric vehicle tomorrow we're all still going to be buying gas in the years ahead and putting the infrastructure in place would go a long way to make it more affordable
2: you know you just brought up evs uh saw a story yesterday mm-hmm. i want to get your thoughts on this saw a story yesterday about a potential battery shortage coming as far as electric vehicles go we we know what kind of a shortage we have right now with computer chips And in in trying to get new cars built, we have plenty of cars that can't be 100 percent completed because they don't have the computer chips. Well, evidently, we are also lacking the supplies to keep up with the demands for batteries, for EVs. And we're looking at a potential shortage of that coming up. Is it just me or does it seem like virtually everything in this country now is part of a shortage
0: You're, you're absolutely right. And that's, I'm sorry to say, it's by design. You know what? We have, I have a counterpart in Alaska where they have more than plenty precious metals to be helping out with EVs, with solar panels, with wind turbines. And the Biden administration won't let them dig. They will not let them get those precious metals out. So environmental groups on one hand like to laugh at you with their Teslas and say, look at our EVs, look at our EVs. That EV takes six times the amount of metals as an internal combustion car to do. And then they stop it again at the supply point to say, no, 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 you can't dig up those metals. So they're more than happy to let, you know, slave labor or questionable human rights and questionable environmental records in China and the Congo uh, dig up those precious metals. And again, I'm not going to smack someone who of their own accord wants to buy one. Where I get upset is when they start driving the price up on the competition and then saying, you must buy this. That's where we get worked up. Because the fact of the matter is, with EVs, just like solar panels and wind turbines, if they have to stand on a fair fight, they lose every time.
2: Okay. We know what life was like during the Trump era as far as oil and gas prices. Um, We were self-sufficient. We're actually we're actually exporting oil, (laughs) not just taking care of our own needs. We're actually exporting oil. How quickly if if all this turned around tomorrow with a different administration, we knew we know how quickly it all went the wrong way. How quickly could it go again to the right way? It takes it takes a little while to gear back up again, doesn't it?
0: It, it does. And, and uh, unfortunately, folks there in Texas know better than anyone else. You can shut down your power generation facilities, but it takes a while to spin them back up. So sadly, it takes, things, it's, it takes no time to shut it down. But if I were to put a time frame on it, I think you would hear from most folks you know, nine months. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of faith, like I know everyone there in Houston does, in American energy workers. If they felt that they could get on the job and be unimpeded and do the work that they were doing in the previous administration, I think they can cut that time to, to smaller than nine months. But that, yeah, it, it takes some time to get back there. But you you pointed out correctly, there is a trust deficit within, with this administration. And even if they came out tomorrow and said, we are wrong, we're going to do a U-turn, I think there's good that there would be a lot of hesitation for folks to invest their money and invest their time knowing that they could pull the rug out at any moment
2: well and and you mentioned investment how difficult is it right now for somebody who's in the oil industry to get investors to to to, to get banks to front them money to dig something like a well there are companies there are plenty of companies that used to loan them money they won't loan the money anymore
0: you're, you're absolutely right, and I'll take it a, a step further. It, it is every part of the Washington, D.C. bureaucracy that can be utilized to push the climate agenda is being utilized. There is a commission called FERC, Federal Energy Regulation Commission. Few people have heard of them. I hadn't heard of them until about a year ago, and we started noting that they were turning down projects. They stopped a natural gas project up in New England, and we're like, who is this group? Well, it was part of Joe Biden essentially trying to push the Green New Deal through backdoor channels to get things done. And so they are using these bureaucrats that are unelected and unaccountable, kind of like Dr. Fauci's of energy, to put up a lot of roadblocks to it. And yeah, that stretches to banks. And that stretches to the financial sector. I mean, you would wonder, what does the Fed have to do with climate? Well, it is part of their mandate because of Joe Biden to say you have to look at climate when you're looking at investment. So, yeah, it's hard to get those dollars moving. Otherwise, banks could also get punished from the other side to say, you know what, you're not towing the environmental line. And the regulations come down on them as well. When you use the power of government to pick winners and losers, this is the result. And it's, uh, you, we've pointed out the poor and the middle class families suffer the most, and they suffer first.
2: Well, and the fact that they're suffering first and suffering the most, the good news is, is I think they're paying attention, don't you?
0: I I absolutely do. I mean, you know, I I went to school there near Houston, up in Huntsville, and Political Science 101 will tell you that the first thing that gets people notice about paying attention to politics is when it hits their wallets, and they've been paying a Joe Biden green tax for over a year now, so you're absolutely right, they're paying attention.
2: All right, sir. Hey, good to talk to you today. Appreciate your time, Larry. Thanks very much. Appreciate it.
0: Jimmy, always great to talk with you. Have a great day.
2: You too. That is Larry Barron's communications director, Power the Future. Quick little break. Back with more in a moment, Jimmy Barrett Show here on AM 950 KPRC. All right, we're back here at AM 950 KPRC. Couple things to talk about. Um, mainly, I kind of started talking about them a little bit this morning on the morning show uh, with with Sheriff Fryer. One of the things we got into a little bit was student loan debt. It is my suspicion that if there's any way through executive order Joe Biden can forgive student loan debt, he's going to do it, and he's probably going to do it fairly close to the election. I would think the timing would be such that he would try to do it close to the election, in particular, if he has to do anything else. Let me give you an example. Let's say um, things are looking really, really bad for Democrats for the election, and he's got bad news on inflation, and gas prices are still high, and we're kind of getting close to election time. It's after Labor Day. We're kind of getting close to election time. So what could he pull out of his pocket to bring some goodwill, especially if one of the things they feel like they have to do is to kind of open it up to mail, more mail-in balloting. And how would we achieve that? Let's see here. Could we play the COVID card again? I don't know. I don't know if you could get away with playing the COVID card again. I, I wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to play it again. But in, unless there's a real huge uptick in cases, and and oh, well they probably would tell us there was a huge uptick in cases. But you know, here's the thing about this BA two variant. Assuming that's what's around, uh, the closer we get to election, uh, the the symptoms are pretty much like a bad cold. It's like a it's like a slightly slightly worse version of a of the common cold. That's it. Have we been thoroughly brainwashed enough on COVID-19 that we can get people to believe that something that basically has the symptoms of the common cold or a bad common cold is something we need to lock things down for? Well, maybe not lock things down so much as, you know what? Here's the thing. We've got an election, and it's important that every American votes. And we're no, you don't really want to get into a crowd of people and expose yourself to this virus let's just mail everybody a ballot so that you can do it from the comfort of your own home and you won't have to expose yourself to other people that that would be that'd be one way that maybe try to convince people that we need to have mail in balloting for virtually everybody at least you know for all major cities where the population is dense we have to do that right sure and if anybody wants to squawk about that well, then we got other bones we can throw them. What can We We can forgive student loan debt. Yes, let's do that. We'll forgive student loan debt. You the $100,000 you owe on that worthless art degree. Don't worry about it. We got it covered. Because after all, who does that money go to? The federal government. They took over the student loan program. So, I mean, it's just that's just less money for them to make. But they'll make it up in taxes and other things. Um, But here's here's Charles Payne. Charles Payne is on Fox Business, in case you don't watch Fox Business that much. Charles Payne is on Fox Business. Here is
1: his take on student loan debt. Take a listen. Progressives have hijacked the pain and suffering of black Americans for everything that they want to push. And it's despicable. Must stop now. I'm going to say something very vulgar to the progressive. Stop pimping black people. Why would anybody in this country we want to forgive student loan debt. 71% of folks with professional degrees have student loan debt. You know how much they make over a lifetime in earnings? 3.6 million. Doctoral, 3.3 million. Master's degrees, 2.7 million. If you have less than a high school degree, you make about 900,000 a year throughout your lifetime if you're lucky. Why the hell would someone who got a, dropped out of high school, only has a high school degree, paid the loan of someone who's gonna make $3.6 million in their lifetime. So right then and there, it's nonsensical, it's unfair, and it's stupid. The whole thing is a sham, it must stop. Have you ever asked yourself, why hasn't it stopped? If it's so easy for progressives and Biden, why haven't they signed off on this yet? Try that the federal government, Biden is making $23 billion a year off the interest. Yeah. So it's a pretty big economic decision. Okay, you want to forgive 1.5 trillion dollars? You just want to make it go up and smoke? Okay, and then on top of that, 23 25 billion a year in interest? Listen, it's an economic disaster. It's a farce.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's maybe the only thing that would keep him from doing that. 23 billion dollars a year coming to the government on interest on student loan debt. 23 billion dollars. <sighs> What is control worth? I mean, in, in their minds, is it worth it to scrap $23 billion a year in income? I guess if your goal is to take down the economy, it is. So I would say this. If they're going to forgive student loan debt, I mean, virtually all student loan debt, that, that's just another way to try to bring down the American economy. You know, we can't reset this country unless we bring down the economy. You can't make America something other than what it is unless you just give it a complete reset. And you got to wonder, is that what we're dealing with here? It kind of feels like it, doesn't it? Kind of feels like it. You know, we, we talk every day, too, about the border. And it's amazing how... A certain image is is made, and 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 the government will stick with the image, and they will not change it, no matter what. One of the things, uh, one of the worst things to come out of the the whole border thing was, do you remember when when we had a whole slew of Haitians coming over, and they had all those pictures of the border patrol guards on horseback, right, and they're whipping the reins back and forth. Anybody who's ever ridden a horse knows what they were doing. They were trying to control the horse trying to get the horse to go in the direction they wanted them to go in. But that's not how it was portrayed, right? Was a, they're, they're beating, they're whipping they're whipping the Haitians. They're whipping black people at the border. No, that's, that's not what was happening. And an investigation showed that wasn't what was happening. But do you think there was ever an apology for it? Of course not. More on that coming up next. Jimmy Baird Show here on AM 950 KPRC. segment on this tuesday am 950 kprc all right let me let me start with old business right before we went to the break here i was talking about you know where's the apology where's the apology well actually you know who wanted to know where the apology was uh uh peter Ducey. did you see by the way did you see what they've been calling him ever since biden called him a you know this, this stupid sob they're referring to him as an sob Jen Psaki pretty much called him that. And we'll let everybody at Fox News, so I guess she would probably call us that too, if given the opportunity. That's fine. I would consider that a compliment if she thought I was a SOB. Um, but let's start with this. Here is the question. Peter Doocy wanted to know, well, where's, where's they've been cleared. Where's the apology? So listen to the, the question, the non-answer, and then, of course, Dana Perino's take on the whole thing.
1: We've been told that the mounted border patrol officers, the president accused of whipping migrants, have been notified they will not face criminal charges. So when is the president going to apologize to them?
3: There is a process and an investigation that's gone through the Department of Homeland Security. I don't have any update on that. Mm, Dana, I smell a rat. How hard is it to say I'm sorry? If you go back to that day, within moments, people who are familiar with horses and with the work that they're doing like no 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 they weren't with me that's how you use the reins in order to maneuver the horse instead for the next like four or five days they kept saying it more and more the media absolutely piled on then the president said that believe me they're going to face consequences for their actions they put these guys who are out and about doing their jobs now they've been on desk duty while we have a migrant crisis and you remember that book Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, mm-hmm. it still applies. Right. It's still a great book for those millennials out there. you gotta, you got to buy this book. You have to ask yourself, what is the right thing to do here? The right thing to do is to apologize and to express regret. And if they were to do that and be willing to do that, this story would go away.
2: Hmm. Sorrow and regret. Huh. I think that would be a new concept to Democrats. Sorrow and regret. Yeah, I don't uh... I don't see them suffering from either one of those things. Um, One more topic I'm going to throw in for you uh, here on this Tuesday, and that has to do with CRT. Now you're probably thinking, what's CRT? There's no CRT. Here's what we found out in Florida. In Florida, you know, they, they have a law. You can't teach critical race theory in the schools. So do you think that's stopping progressive educators from trying to teach it? Of course not. They just aren't holding a class called critical race theory. They aren't directly doing it. They're finding other ways to work it into the curriculum. So far, 54 textbooks in Florida have been eliminated because they were found to contain lessons in critical race theory. Sometimes it was in math. You know, that's a great place to hide a critical race theory story. It's in a story problem, right? Yes, you can do your own little version of equity With math. So here's Florida Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez on what they found with math books and CRT. What we've seen is
3: obviously a systematic attempt by these publishers to infiltrate our children's education by embedding topics such as critical race theory, things that have nothing to do with math. So Governor DeSantis uh, obviously embarked on this journey to make sure our kids could be prepared for success. He wanted to focus on reading, writing, math, civics, to make sure that they're not only prepared for student success, but also to be good citizens. This was a very transparent and open process. It was done by the Department of Education, with lots of individuals that are former teachers and former administrators reviewing textbooks to make sure they didn't have these types of philosophies and these ideologies that are harmful to our children. So they do have an opportunity to fix it, but my, my belief is that they probably won't. We will probably have to move on. We are covered, all grades have at least one high quality curriculum uh, that will align with our standards, which again, are there are the state standards that we want to make sure our kids can learn, be free from indoctrination. I think parents should breathe a sigh of relief to Today.
2: All right, here's the question for those of us who live in Texas. Are, are kids in Texas, are they being exposed to critical race theory in their textbooks? Are they being exposed to it in the library? My sneaking suspicion is they are. And although we have talked a good game, we really aren't doing that much about it. I saw a, um, a, a piece about the Texas Education Agency, um, where they have, uh, they're have, they trying to implement the governor's standards as it relates to library books in, in obscenity, making sure that we don't have you know, obscene library books that we're exposing our kids to. Well, as we, as we know, the definition of, of, of obscenity, it, it differs greatly from person to person. Certainly, it's far different for somebody who's highly progressive than somebody who's very conservative. So maybe it's really hard for us to find that middle ground or that place where we can all agree, yeah, that's okay, that's not obscene. But that's not so much the issue I have as it is the mechanism of trying to figure out what schools have and what they have in their libraries and what they, what they don't, what they're pushing to the students and what they aren't. Because there's no real mechanism for that right now with TEA. They're pretty much dependent on parents, report anything they see that's irregular or, or or parents through the school board. Well, guess what? The school board is part of the problem, at least in a lot of uh, liberal school districts. It is very, very much a part of the problem. The school board isn't very good necessarily at determining standards when it comes to that. Certainly not standards that are going to match up with what the governor is talking about. So if the TEA relies on the school boards and the school boards don't support the governor's program, how are they going to know that there are any books that don't meet the criteria? Well, there's only one way they're going to know, and that's parents. You know, parents are going to have to remain just as involved with the local schools and the school boards as they have gotten in the last 10, 12 months. Yep, because you you kind of have to assume that in many of these school systems, they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're finding ways to sneak this stuff in and around the rules. They're very good at that. All right. Have yourself a great evening. I'll see you tomorrow morning with Sherrod bright and early at 5 a.m. on Houston's Morning News, News Radio 740 KTRH. And then we're back here at 4, 9 a.m. 950 KPRC.